Do you guys remember um, probably three or four weeks ago, Pastor Renee spoke and she talked about Zacchaeus. And in that, she shared short people problems. Well, we had heard from some of our tall friends, like, hey, you know what? There are tall people problems. Now, listen, I am not going to be able to relate to this, so shout out to all my tall people friends. Um, and this was, this, this was a little bit of market research um, and a lot of Google because I don't understand any of these problems, except for I can, I can, I can relate to one of them, and I'll, and I'll share that in a minute. So tall people problems, cars, planes, and just legroom in general. <laughs> you live a double life as a supermarket assistant. Excuse me, could you, could you reach that for me? Countertops are too low, and don't even get started about emptying the bottom rack of the dishwasher, which honestly, I think about that every time I bend over and I'm getting the silverware out. I'm thinking like, how do people who are like well over six feet tall, this has got to be so awkward. You are always relegated to the back row of group photos. Low chairs. Just like low chairs. Have you ever been into a, the, the, the children's ministry and seen them low chairs? You're like. People are frustrated with you at the movies or at concerts. Hugging short people is just awkward. Showers and bathtubs, just forget about it. So we stayed at an Airbnb this week, and I, it made me feel so, there's not often that I feel tall. There's, there's like literally two times in my life when I feel tall, because I'm a, I'm a, I used to think that I was 5'10", and I told people that, and then I realized I wasn't 5'10", and I was 5'9". And then there were several years after that stunning revelation that I went to the doctor, you know how they, they measure you? And they're like, all right, you're 5'8". I was like, what? <laughs> I lied to myself thinking I was 5'10 forever. I realized I was 5'9 and now I lost an inch. There's a supermarket in Canada that we used to go to. It's called, it's called the Superstore. And they'd have tiny shopping carts. And I used to push around the tiny shopping cart because it made me feel tall. Like little kids' shopping carts. But at our Airbnb, the shower head was mounted so low in the, in the shower that I had to do this to get underneath it. Like it was like pointed at here. And I'm like, I know I don't have hair to wash, but I still was like trying to do this. So I felt like... Thank you to the, the Airbnb people for making me at a strapping 5'8 feel tall. How many of you have ever, been, have, have ever been asked by a friend to help them move? Like, listen, honestly, this is, this is the real true test of love in a friendship. Someone calls you up and says, hey, I'm moving. Can you help? Because if you're asking a friend to help you move, you are banking on the love that they have for you to motivate them to, one, say yes, and to, two, actually show up. Now, if you show up on the day of the move and you discover that they haven't even started packing yet, that's how you go from friend to frenemy in like half a second. I was once, I was once asked to, uh, to help some people move and they were, they were not friends, they were, they were barely acquaintances. But I felt like, you know, this would be a nice thing to do. I'm going to go, I'm going to give several hours of my Saturday to go and, and to help them move. So I rolled up to the house Early on a Saturday morning, it was like 8 o'clock in the morning. The U-Haul was already backed into the driveway. The, the back was out. The, you know, the, the ramp was out. There was a few boxes you know, beside the truck. And I thought, man, they are, they're, they're on it. They're already started. And then I walked into the house to my stunning realization 
that half the house wasn't even packed yet. And I looked around, and I went, I think I'm in the wrong place. Do I even know you people? And I slowly started to back away. But no, I, I stayed because I said that I would be there. And I gave three hours of my Saturday to what I thought and hoped would be moving. I gave three hours of my Saturday to packing before I had to go and attend to other things with my family. Um, we moved into the house that we currently live in in, in 2020. And I asked a few friends to come and help. And listen, I knew that this was a big ask at this time. Um, especially, we were like, it was like May 2020. So this was like relatively early in the pandemic. And so I knew that this was going to be a big ask. Hey, could you guys come and help me move in the middle of a pandemic? But I told them it would go fast. One thing, if, so listen, if I ever ask you to move, it means that I, I, I think of you as my friend. Number two, Renee and I are super organized. Like we move entire houses in like under three hours. That's from the moment that you show up to the moment that you're leaving and driving away from the new place. And we will serve you lunch. It's like, so like every box is packed. There's not one box that's left to even be taped. Everything is disassembled. It's staged at the front door or at the, the you know, the, the door to the, uh, to the bedrooms or whatever, or it's outside already. Everything is staged and we are fast and we are motivated because I understand nobody likes to move. Nothing left to pack. Well, when we moved into our new place, I asked, uh, I asked some guys, I asked Dale, I asked Juan, and some of you know Andrew Bean, and they were all available, I, which means I had a strong enough relationship with them that they felt trapped when I asked for their help. <laughs> Seriously, though, I kind of felt bad, and this is the reason why. There's three stories to my house. It's just touch your neighbor and say stairs, like... <laughs> For the people that, it was leg day. We were running up three flights of stairs and down three flights of stairs. So I've, I felt bad. But we knocked it out fast. Literally two hours and we were done. From the moment they showed up at the old house to the moment we were almost done at the new house. Because I had one item that did not fit up the stairwell. A piece of our sectional sofa did not fit up the stairwell. It was too long. And I'm thinking, like, I guess I'm going to have to get a new sofa. I've got half of it upstairs. The other half is in the garage. And then Juan, uh, is Juan, Juan's probably in the nursery. Juan had an idea. Watch this video. Um, I'm praying while they do this. This is the second story of our home. They are on top of the U-Haul. And that's our balcony. I honestly don't know how I'm getting this part of the sectional back out of the house. <laughs> I just need, so when I ask you to, if I ask you to come and help me move, you know that you need to be at the bottom catching part of a sectional. Oh my gosh, you guys are superheroes. <laughs> it was really quite the sight. We felt so loved. They drop it, they didn't drop it. <laughs> we felt so loved by these guys for sacrificing their time to help help my family move. It was just a it's just a move. Like really, at the end of the day, it's not a big deal, right? But we felt loved. And that's friendship. That's friendship right there. I spoke a couple weeks ago, so if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 15. 
And this is the passage that I spoke out of a couple weeks ago. I want to revisit it, but I want to focus in on a, on a couple different verses. I'm going to read from the Passion Translation this time. John chapter 15, verses 12 and 13. Jesus says, this is my command. Love each other deeply as much as I have loved you. For the greatest love of all is a love that sacrifices all. And this great love is demonstrated when a person sacrifices his life for his friends. It is the greatest love of all when a person sacrifices his love for his friends. Helping a friend move, like, honestly, it's, it's an act of sacrifice. It takes a, there's a level of sacrifice there. You're sacrificing part of your day. Because listen, when you say yes to something, instantly you say no to something else. Like you can't say yes to everything. So when, 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 when you help a friend move, you say yes, you're saying no to spending time with your family. You're saying no to doing your hobbies. You're saying no to, to sports and things like that. And you're saying yes to your friends. So there's an element of sacrifice of your time, of your day. It's also a sacrifice of your physical energy energy, right? So you're, you're putting your, your, your back into it. Jesus sacrificed not just his time and his en energy, but he sacrificed his life. The word love here that we read in this passage is the Greek word agape, which is actually the, the highest form of love. And it's defined as a sacrificial love that puts someone else's needs above your own. This is God's love for humanity. This is John's 316 love. Right, where it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That word love there in John 3.16 is agape. It's that sacrificial love. See, not only is agape God's love for all of humanity, but it's also the standard by which we are to love one another. As Jesus tells us that we are to love, agape each other as he has loved, agape us. Putting someone else's needs above my own needs, putting someone else's needs above your own needs. This is how Jesus demonstrated this love to his disciples and to his friends. Up to this point, he had spent about three years with them, sacrificing, teaching them. And he was saying to them, hey, I have, I have put your needs above my own needs. I have sacrificed for you. I have preferred you. I have loved you. I have honored you. Now sacrifice for one another. Love each other the same way that I have loved you. What you have seen from me, what you have felt from me, what you have, have been taught by me, now do the exact same thing to one another. So here Jesus is actually not only just talking about what has happened to the disciples, what the disciples have experienced from him, but he's also speaking about what is going to take place. He's speaking of his soon approaching crucifixion where Jesus will literally sacrifice it all. Not only for just those who were in the room in that moment, but for you and I, for us as well. Sacrifice is the greatest demonstration of love. For the greatest love of all is a love that sacrifices all. In Romans chapter 5, verses 6 and 8, um, Paul writes, he says, When the time was right, the anointed one, speaking of Jesus, came and died to demonstrate his love for sinners who were entirely helpless, weak, and powerless to save themselves. Now would anyone dare die for the sake of a wicked, horrible person? The answer is no. Like who would give their life for a wicked person? We can understand if someone was willing to die for a truly noble person, but Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place while we were still lost and while we were still ungodly. See, not only did Jesus sacrifice his, his life and, and, and demonstrate his love for friends, for the ones who were sitting around the table, but he sacrificed it for all people, 
People that don't like him. People that didn't know about him. People that, that could care less about him. People that actually hated him. He gave his life for them too. This is Jesus saying, listen, I know you, you may not know me. And I know you may not like me. I know you may actually hate me. But I love you. And I'm going to show you that I love you before you even care about what I'm going to do. See, in Romans, a couple verses later, Paul writes, he says, our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies. While we were enemies of God. See, there's no, like, we like to think, like, I'm kind of, uh, you know, I'm, I'm on the fence with, with Jesus and the, this whole Jesus thing, right? Like, I, I don't know that, that, I'm, that I'm for him, but I know I'm definitely not against him, right? That's, that's how we like to think. We're just kind of weighing our options. But there's no, there's, there's no middle road with Jesus. Like you're either for him or you're not. You're either with him or you're against him. You're either his friend or his enemy. There's no middle road. But Jesus, even when you were on this side and you were, you were at odds with, with Christ, you were at odds with Jesus, you were his, his enemy, he stepped in and he gave his life for his enemies. He not only loves people that love him in return, but people, he loves people that will never, ever love him in return. This is the greatest love of all. He sacrificed it all. Our pastor, Rich Guerra, who's the, like, he's pastor of pastors, so he's, he's kind of the pastor of Southern California Assemblies of God churches. Um, he's come here and he's, he's spoken here before. Whenever he steps up to the microphone to, to begin a service or, or, or a meeting, he does the exact, I've, I've known him for like almost 15 years. He does the exact same thing every time he steps to the, to the, to the front. He'll take the microphone, he'll go, how many people love Jesus? Every, every time, it doesn't matter where he is, it, which is kind of a funny, funny you know, question when you're in a room full of pastors and you really, everybody should be saying, yes! Sometimes it's awkwardly quiet, but this, he, every, every time without fail, you can bank on it. How many people love Jesus? And he'll, he'll lift his hand. Just, I'm doing exactly like, like he would do it. Loving Jesus is, is, is what's required of us. And not just us as, as pastors, but but all of us, each one of us. And, and loving Jesus is really the only worthy response to the love sacrifice that Jesus made for me and for you. That's the only, that's the only thing that we, we can, it's the only way to respond. I love you, Jesus. Like what else, what else could I possibly give him? Right? When, when, when someone does something, you know, come and help, help us move. Like Renee said, we'll, we'll give you lunch. That's our, that's our thank you. Right? We'll feed you. We'll continue to be friends, hopefully. <laughs> but what, what, what could I possibly give Jesus to say thank you for what he has given me? He gave me his life. He stepped in and, and took my place. What can I possibly give? He's God. God needs nothing. God has everything. Right? The Bible says that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And if you follow the narrative of the Bible, he owns the hills too because he spoke it all into existence. There's nothing that God needs. He is totally, completely self-sufficient. So how do I say thank you to the one who is completely and totally self-sufficient and needs nothing from me? I love you, Jesus. I give, I give him all that I have. And what do I have? Me. 
Because like, you, like we all come into the world and we leave the world the exact same way. With nothing. I just have me. I just have my life. I just have my, my love. That's it. There's nothing else that I actually have. But the greatest love of all is the love that sacrifices all. And this is how we express our love to the greatest friend that we will ever have. We give him everything. We sacrifice it all. It's, it's, it's all of me for all of him. How, how, can, how can I hold back part of my life from Jesus when he held nothing back from me? Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor in Germany in World War II. And he worked tirelessly in opposition to Hitler trying to actually bring Hitler down to, to stop what was happening. He worked tirelessly to rescue Jewish people from the death camps. And he wrote a book just to, towards the beginning of, of World War II. It was called The Cost of Discipleship. And really, it's a summary of his life's message. And I want to read you a paragraph from that book. And it contains one of his most memorable quotes. He writes, he says, The cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ suffering which every man must experience is the call to abandon the attachments of the world. It is that dying of the old man which is the result of his encounter with Christ as we embark upon discipleship. We surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give over our lives to death. Thus it begins. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. It may be a death like that of the very first disciples that had to leave home and work to follow him. Or it may be a death like Luther. He's referencing Martin Luther, who was a reformer in the church in the 1800s. Who had to leave the monastery and go out from the monastery out into the world. But it is the same death every time. Death in Jesus Christ. The death of the old man at his call. When Christ calls a man... He bids him come and die. This is loving Jesus. This is, the, this is the, the flip side of that. Jesus sitting around that table says, no greater love does anyone have than one that would give his life for his friends. He's speaking to them. He's telling them, I am about to give my life for you. The flip side of that is that when they heard that, that lesson that he's saying is, there's no greater love that you can show me than to give your life for me. We won't all sacrifice the same, but every follower of Jesus will sacrifice. Because Jesus taught, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? Is there anything worth more than your soul? See, we fool ourselves if we think that we can hang on to both um, our life and Jesus at the same time. It's like you're a one-handed man or, a, or woman. You can only hold on to one thing at a time, right? You can either hold on to your life or you can hold on to Jesus. But you can't hold on to both. And I know... This sounds extreme. And I know this sounds difficult and costly, but listen, it only sounds that way if I focus on what I'm giving up and I fail to see what I gain. See, I gain Jesus. 
I gain eternity. I gain an inheritance. The Bible talks about how we have an inheritance of every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. I gain that. Not only do I gain eternity after, after our, our, our final breath here and now, and I, I gain eternity, but, but I, gain, I gain here. right? I gain the here and now because Jesus said, like, everyone who has left mother or father or lands or homes or, or families, no, they will, they, will they not fail to receive in the next life and in this life more than they gave up? Pick up your cross and follow Jesus. See, there's really nothing that I actually lose in this exchange. But it feels like I lose a lot when I look at what I'm giving up because we... We're, we are, we're finite. We have finite minds. I, I cannot comprehend eternity, the beginning from the end. And so all I look at, like all I have, my life, this is it. This is all I have. And when we focus on it, like, like, like only in the here and now, we fail to realize that we will all live forever. We can live forever with Jesus or without Jesus. Those are our only options. You might not like the options, but we don't get to choose the options. We just get to choose our choice. Pick up your cross and follow Jesus. See, sacrificing it all, giving it all, is a demonstration of your love for him. Right? We baptize people in water today. This is what they were saying. I'm, I'm, I'm giving you my life. I'm following you to the end. There's this scene, one of my favorite movies of all time is... Um, is uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I can't watch the final battle scene, you know, when they all gather and um, the, the horseman, I don't even remember the guy's name, but he's like, he's like uh, the king, um, what's the king's name? The kid. Anyway. Is it Charles? It can't be Charles. He just got, he's king in England. I don't think he's king in the movie. <laughs> Philip, thank you. It's Philip. He, he's there and he's like, he's terrified. He's, he's a child leading this army into battle, but he's also the, he's also the king and he's standing behind, beside his, his right-hand guy who's a valiant warrior. And he, he looks at him and he goes, are you with me? And he looks at him back. He goes, to the death. That's, that's water baptism. Both, both of, both of these, these people, Arthur and Margaret, got in here. And Jesus looks at them and says, are you with me? And they said, to the end, to the death. They're giving, they're giving it all. This is their expression of love to him. The greatest, Peter, thank you. The greatest love of all is a love that sacrifices all. A couple weeks ago, in just uh, the few days prior to, to youth convention, Renee and I had the opportunity to sit and to uh, listen, to hear a couple missionaries speak. Their names were Brent and Shelley Teague. And they're missionaries to, uh, to the nation of Niger in Africa. Now, Niger competes with Haiti for being the poorest country in the entire world. Like when they, when they put those lists out, you'll either have Haiti at the bottom or Niger, and they kind of go back and, back and forth. When they first moved to Niger, Brent and Shelley had two young daughters, and they were just getting started as a family. They established themselves, um, you know, in, in, in Niger, in, the, in one of the cities, and one day Brent was traveling to a village that was about 90 minutes away from the city where their base of ministry was located. 
And as he was driving, he was driving with, with two pastors that he was training. He was raising up because they were starting, you know, local churches with local pastors. He was driving with these two pastors, their wives and their, and their children. And they're driving along this road, um, and it's, it's only a two-lane two highway. And he's, he, he's telling the story, and he says, I looked behind me, and there's this military truck that was right up on me. And he says, I just thought it, I thought it was actually the military. So I slowed down so that they could just pass. And the truck pulled up, pulled over, and, and, but it didn't pass. It kept pace alongside of him. And Brent said he's driving. He looks over, and when he looks over, the passenger is hanging out of the window with a machine gun pointed at him. And before he could react or do anything, he opened fire. And Brent was shot. He was shot. He was hit twice. He was shot once in the left knee, which he said literally like exploded. It blew up his knee. So much to the point that they thought like later on, I'm kind of giving away part of the story, but his kneecap was hidden behind his leg. They thought his kneecap was gone, but it was actually behind his leg, but there's no knee there. And then the second bullet that he took hit him in the, in the, in like the lower leg, like in the calf area, and it literally disintegrated his lower leg, taking like all the muscle and most of the bone. He is in this excruciating pain, and out of reaction, he's driving a, he's driving a, a manual transmission uh, truck, and so he hits, he hits the brake, and out of like reaction, when you stop a, a standard vehicle, you hit the brake and the clutch at the same time, but he had no need to hold his shin bone in place, so his shin bone shot up into his femur. When he finally got the truck stopped, he kind of fell out of the truck. The gunmen stopped as well. They picked him up and they threw him into the back seat and he's laying across these pastors and their wives and the, and the, and the children. He slams the door and the gunman jumps into the truck and both trucks drive off-road. Like, so we're talking, this is the Sahara Desert. They drive two miles off into the desert through the sand. He's in, Brent's in excruciating pain, bleeding profusely. The truck stops. The gunman grabs him and throws him on the ground, points his gun at him, and he's going to kill him and the rest and then the driver and the other passenger from the truck they get out and they're having this conversation and one of the other gunmen says I'm not a baby killer and so they realize that they have this moment to negotiate for their lives and one of the assistant pastors looks at him looks at the guy who shot Brent who's bleeding out on the ground and he says to him um, they speak French in Niger, so this is in French. But he, he, he says to him, do you know what you've done? You have shot a holy man, and you will be cursed to the fourth generation. And Brent said, as he's laying there bleeding out in the sand, he goes, well, his theology was a little off, but I didn't think it was the moment to correct him. I just went with it. <laughs> and the, the guy, like, turns ghost white. And they all jump, like, everybody jumps into the one truck, and then the, the guy who shot Brent jumps into Brent's truck to drive off. And he actually tries to run, like drive over him. And they pull him out of the way. But here's Brent bleeding out in the desert. They, no one knows they're there. And he says he looked at the people who were with him and he sent them all to go get help. To walk two miles back through the, the sand and the desert, back to the road. And only leave one person there with him. And he said he's laying in the sand and he he's, realizes he's going to die. And he gets very angry. He said, I was laying there in the sand, bleeding out in excruciating pain. And I was so angry. And it, like, it, it wasn't out loud, but it was in his mind. He, was, he said, I was angry with Jesus. And I was questioning him. What are you doing? I've given my life to you. I'm halfway around the world from where I grew up. I'm serving you. I'm a missionary. I'm reaching people that I don't even know. And then he has this revelation. 
I should probably change my attitude because in a couple minutes I'm going to have this conversation face to face with Jesus. Literally, this is what he says. He's telling us this story. He says, so I stopped complaining, I stopped being angry, and I started to worship. He's laying in the sand, bleeding out, and he's worshiping Jesus. And then he says that he makes this statement. I'm a mess, by the way. I'm like sitting at a table. I'm trying to hold it together. And he says, Jesus, it's such a privilege to serve you. Like, I'm done. I am undone at the table. He's literally bleeding out in the sand. And he says, what a privilege to serve you. The greatest love of all is a love that sacrifices all. Family, Jesus is worth it. There's nothing that compares to Jesus and what he has for your life. Regardless of what he asks of you in return, he is worth it. It is our privilege to show our love to Jesus by sacrificing it all to him. It's the end of Brent's story. I wish I could tell you the whole story because it is like, honestly, I've heard wild stories. This was the craziest story I have ever heard. The long story short, he lives. He has his leg, like he did, it, it grew bone, like there's like miraculous grown, uh, bone growth and surgeries. And, and when it was not long after that a rescue truck showed up and Brent was thinking like, how did, how did, these get, how did they get here in time? And they said, to, when they got out of the truck, he asked them, how did you find us? And he said, an hour ago, we got a phone call telling us that you had been shot and giving us the exact coordinates of where you were in the desert. He had only been shot 15 minutes ago, but an hour before he got a phone call, this miraculous phone call. This, anyway, <laughs> today, he and his family are back in the country of Niger, continuing to serve and to give their lives. Every one of us, every one of us will be asked to willingly sacrifice for Jesus. He doesn't force us. He never forces us. But it's our love, it's my love for Jesus that compels me to give. It compels me to sacrifice. Some will sacrifice greatly and they will be called into crazy situations like Brent's. I know some of our students are called to the mission field and they will go around the world and they will find themselves in crazy situations like this. Some of us are gonna be asked to sacrifice right here. Your sacrifice is being a godly man, is being a godly woman, being a good dad and a good mom, raising up kids that understand and know what it is to serve Jesus, to give their lives to him. Because as Renee prophesied earlier, some of your kids will influence millions of people far more than if you didn't sacrifice for them. Their touch and their reach will far exceed what our touch and reach ever will. And your sacrifice is to raise them up right to raise them up to love Jesus. Some of you will, will sacrifice, and your sacrifice is, is, is being a good employee, is, is, is going to work day in and day out, being faithful and serving and demonstrating what it is to be a hard worker and just loving your neighbor. I say just. Like, just it's, there's no just loving your neighbor. Whatever the sacrifice, it's not really important. What matters is loving Jesus with all that, that we are, with all that I have. Because the greatest love of all 
is a love that sacrifices all. And I know, and I, I want to go back to this as I close, that it, it sounds like, man, this, this is extreme. It sounds like God's asking a lot of us, and he is. But there's a, a drawing that I saw once of a little girl, and she's holding this tiny teddy bear. And Jesus, she's standing in front of Jesus, and Jesus has his hands out. He's asking for the teddy bear. And the little girl goes, but it's all I have, and I love it so much. But what she doesn't see is the ginormous teddy bear that's behind Jesus' back. He's got one hand out. He's asking for what she has, but she has no idea what he has in return for her. He's asking for your life, and you're like, but Jesus, this is... This is all that I have, and I love it so much. And he's saying, I know, but do you trust me? Because what I have for you is so much greater than what you are giving to me. That's friendship with Jesus. He gives it all for us, demonstrating his great and extravagant love for us. And our only real valid response is, Jesus, I give it all back to you. I love you too. And it's really what it is. I love you too. Because he loved us first. And anything that I do is just in response to his love for me. He says, I love you. I love you too. I'm giving you my life. I'll give you my life too. If you're here today and, and you don't have that friendship with Jesus and you're like, you know what, that's, I want that. I, I understand that it's a big ask. I understand what Jesus is asking of me, but there's something in me that wants, wants to say yes. And I know that everything is going to change when I say yes. And I don't know what that looks like, but that's okay. Jesus will work it out. Everyone sitting in this room at one point or another said yes to Jesus and their life was a mess. And they just trusted him to just work it out. We, we just trust Jesus with the mess. And he just, he works it out. I don't know how. I'm thankful it's not my job. But if you're here and, and you don't have that friendship with Jesus and you'd like that, I just want you to raise your hand. I know I didn't ask anybody to close your eyes. That's okay. We're not stuck in, we're not stuck in a rut. Jesus. The other thing that I want to ask you is that you, as you look at your life and you're like, you know, I've, I've been holding back. Actually, this is not even more of an ask because it's not between you and I, but it's between you and Jesus. This is more of a challenge. So as you heard me speak today, read the scripture, tell some stories and you feel man I, I have been holding back I haven't given it all my challenge to you today is that you would give it all it's not worth going halfway <laughs> like it's really not there's really no, no better way to serve Jesus than going all in and so I challenge you today as we go, go all in.
For the greatest love of all is a love that sacrifices all. And know this, that he loves you more than you will ever understand. Let me pray. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would give us understanding of how much you love us. That we would experience your love. I pray that you would speak to us in our dreams. And you would give us dreams about how much you love us, how you care for us, and the incredible plans and the hopes that you have for our lives. And that you would lead us into that place of sacrificial love for you. And that we would give it all. For you are worthy and you are worth it. Amen.